This is one of the things that the 43 Group is known by and should be known in the future, that you do not wait to be attacked. You take the fight of the enemy and attack those before they attack you. We did find ourselves in a very tricky situation, sometimes outnumbered. Anything you do to deter people from nasty things they want to do was uh, a good thing. Okay, hello and welcome to episode 29 of Radio 43. This is the weekly anti-fascism show from Hope Not Hate, where we look at what the far right have been up to and shine a light on uh, who's doing what and uh, what's what's coming down the line. My name is Nick Spooner. I've got Roxy and Joe here as well. Hello. Uh, it's a pleasure hello. to be with you. Yeah, how you, how you both doing? What's going on? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm all groovy. Uh, no news, nothing to report. How, how are you both doing? I am. Um, I'm good. I, I actually want to take a moment to make a public service announcement. I don't know. Uh, my my Instagram's kind of been blowing up the last couple of days because um, <laughs> I, uh, I I I want to make a very serious statement to any listeners out there. If you are mm. an impulsive shopper like me and you happen to go to Aldi uh, of an of an evening, whatever you do, swerve the Whisper Gold Hazelnut Bar. It is the most. Oh, awful I thing. saw. I saw you tweet That's about so this. So sad. Yeah. Yeah. I saw you tweet about this. Yeah, That's... it's it's extremely bad. It's extremely Such bad. Such a shame. It sounds delicious. Yeah, on on the face of it, it sounds fantastic. What what I want to say as well is one of my best mates. Um, and shout out shout out to Tolly for this, but he went all the way to Aldi to try and prove me wrong. He wants to mug me off, and actually, he came back with his tail between his legs, mm. saying how awful it was. So, <laughs> it's uh, it's very bad. Please do swerve that. That's all I've got to say. Joe, anything you wanna anything you wanna add on whispers or anything else, really? uh no no <laughs> no no that, that's i think i think we've covered that okay well on the show this week then we're going to be talking about two stories from the mainstream um and then three which are definitely more from the underground um but i think we'll probably kick things off with an update on the tommy robinson situation joe the, the campaign's really popped off um we spoke uh, about the latest revelations about this new house on a show a couple of weeks ago what's been going on since then he's been he's been making some very silly videos on his uh on his social media channels hasn't he yeah i mean so he's taken to goading uh goading or oh, i guess us really with videos saying oh look how well look, look how much money i'm spending despite being bankrupt and, and you know look how much look at all this food i've got um which seems to be a bit of an unwise position considering the investigation is ongoing not just by us but by an independent insolvency expert which is looking for his his funds <laughs> um so yeah he's been doing that there was also a, a court case at the royal courts of justice last week that he didn't turn up to which was basically jamal's uh, jamal who was the the young syrian refugee that he was libeled uh, that, and he obviously owes all this money to as a result um his legal team were in court and they were supposed to be questioning Lennon about about his finances, what money he had, et cetera, what was his what, what was his ability to pay, and he didn't turn up. And um, again, he made another silly move. There was like while we were all sat in the courtroom waiting for this to to happen, he never turned up. And then he started making videos on Getter, saying I didn't know anything about this, you know, I didn't, uh, you know, I'd never heard about this. And then he starts encouraging 
his supporters to call the courts um, and bombard the phone lines with kind of saying, oh, this is unfair, etc. which again, I'm not sure is necessarily the wisest legal approach. Uh, and it is, I think a lot of this explains why perhaps he lost the case when, of course, he represented himself and he's, made, you know, he's, he's showing why he's making such bad decisions here. So there's all that going on. Our investigation is ongoing. Um, we're putting together this vast dossier, um, which we will be handing over to the uh, independent insolvency expert, well, any day now, which is now running into hundreds of pages of evidence about what we think is his hidden assets. So that will be, and we'll obviously soon also start to publish a series of blogs. We've already, as you mentioned, published about his house. Um, and this massive great house that he's having an extension on. But also we'll, we're gonna kind of post a series of articles over the next month or so as with the investigation continues. And it's like a huge thank you to everyone who donated because it's really made, not only it's possible to cover the legal costs for that we're kind of underpinning or we're, we're bankrolling a lot of this investigation internally, but we're also obviously paying the legal fees for a lot of the um, investigation into his bankruptcy as well. So it's been really, really thankful. Thanks to everyone for, it's made it really possible, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. The I suppose it makes sense for us to just sort of juggle around the uh, the running order for today. Because uh, why don't we talk about Billy Charlton? Um, because a, a few weeks ago, just to sort of tie in with this with this Lennon story, because I, I think a few weeks ago you published a, a long blog, which I would recommend anybody going to check out on our on our website, which I, I would describe as an important but very difficult read. It was um, it was horrible, um, but very important. And I suppose the gist of the article, Joe, was that sexual abuse and child sexual abuse is a, is a colorless crime and that when one looks at the people that tommy robinson has surrounded himself with over the years and in particular the number of them who've been prosecuted for sexual abuse and child sexual abuse it becomes very apparent very very quickly that he's far from being consistent on this issue um and someone mentioned in that blog has just been convicted it's a guy called billy charlton joe do you want to talk us through a little bit of who Billy Charlton is uh, and kind of what his relationship is to Lennon. Yeah, sure. So in that article, kind of we identified at least 20 members and supporters who had either been members of things like the English Defence League or supporters of Tommy Robinson over the years who had been convicted of, of child sexual exploitation offences. So as you say, it's, it's, it's really not a very nice read, that article. And at least 10 of those we identified were active in the English Defence League while, while Lennon was still its leader. But the case that's kind of being talked about in the recent weeks is, um, as you say, this, this kind of new one of the William Charlton. And Lennon's interactions with him are much more recent. Back in June 2017, he was shared a stage with Charlton at a rally, a rally back in Sunderland. Uh, and obviously a big point of that rally was around child sexual exploitation. And, and Lennon was on stage praising Charlton, saying that you know, he wouldn't have known about a lot of this if it wasn't for Billy and, and kind of was very, very you know, praising of him. And of course, it's now transpired that Charlton has been found guilty of distributing an indecent photograph of a child. And, um, and that had been known for a while now, but it's, he's now been jailed for forwarding the indecent image. Um, once again, of course, silence from um, Tommy Robinson on this. Uh, and this is in the wake of obviously he's doing all this stuff around Telford. He had a big demonstration, which we talked about last week, which was around on-street grooming by gangs. And I think this is just further evidence, as we talk about in that article, as you say, it's called Tommy Robertson is a, a hypocrite when it comes to child opposing child sexual exploitation. This is just further evidence, right, is that when it's his mate, he's in the history of him, he's either covered it up or ignored it. Uh, and, and this is just a further example of this. He'll jump up and down if the person isn't white or if they're Muslim, but he'll ignore it if he's a supporter. Uh, and this is just the latest example of that. And I'm sure you will, lots of people have seen the pictures, there's pictures of Tommy Robinson 
with William Charlton with their arms around each other, etc. So this isn't like some guy that he just happened to bump into in the street. He shared a stage with him, he's talked with him, he's praised him. And now, of course, he's been found guilty of, of distributing an indecent photo. There's silence from him. Just, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a great summary. I, I Just a sort of point to, uh, of information, I think, I'm not going to go into too, many, too much detail here, but it was an 18-second video, I believe, that he got, uh, that he was distributing on, on WhatsApp. So, um, and also, it sounds to me like he's, uh, I hadn't realised that he'd only just got out because he, he, he got locked up in 2019 for 21 months for five offences of stirring up racial hatred at marches between 2016 and 2017. So potentially there was an overlap there as well um, with Lennon's presence. I don't know. I haven't got, you know, I haven't got the details in front of me on that one, but um, the dates seem to overlap. And like you say, Lennon has not said a word about this publicly. Yeah. No, 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 so as far as we can see, uh, I haven't seen anything and I've been been looking for it. And, um, you know, as I say, this is there's track record to this. You know, there, this is it's not just this example. I mean, there's the, there's some really egregious ones in the past. I mean, back in the English Defence League days, there was uh, kind of an, a really famous example of a guy called Richard Price, Richard Price, sorry, who was, who was convicted of making four indecent images and possessing cocaine and crack cocaine, etc. And, and in response to that, Tommy Robinson at the time called it a stitch up. Right. He mm. said, he, go, he goes, oh, we've got no idea how these images were on the computer. It was only much later when the outrage became too much that he actually backpedaled and said, oh, no. And then he started lying about it and said, oh, Richard Price was never that involved. When actually, of course, we've got, we've got the documents where Tommy Robinson himself said that Richard Price and him were, were part of the earliest founding members and they were part of, they were only the leaders of the group, et cetera. So, you know, it's a history, he has a history of this. You know, when it comes close to anyone that he's involved with, he ignores it or lies about it. Uh, when it happens by a Muslim, he jumps up and down about it. And it's almost like, Maybe, I don't want to be too controversial, that Tommy Robinson is more concerned about attacking Muslims than he is about actually standing up to child sexual exploitation. Yeah, I mean, I, I would back you on that. I wouldn't say that's a controversial point at, at this point, <laughs> unfortunately. Oh. Um, I think um, let's, let's, move on to our next, uh, let's move on to our next story because yesterday, I'm sure, I'm sure many of our listeners would have seen this, there were some extremely ugly see, uh, scenes on the streets of London yesterday yeah. um, around Parliament. Uh, Keir Starmer was the target. Roxy, what's been going on and why is this kind of linked to the far right? Yeah, um, yeah, thanks for that little segue, Spoons. Um, so yeah, I, I'm sure most of our listeners have, have kind of been looped in on this already, but just to give some context, uh, last week, uh, Boris Johnson said that Keir Starmer was uh, responsible for Jimmy Savile avoiding prosecution for you know, some of the absolutely heinous crimes that he committed against children as, as young as eight, I believe. Um, Joe and his research team found that this slur uh, originated on far-right news sites and, and, yeah, and this culminated in some awful scenes of protesters uh, shouting, you know, paedophile and Keir Starmer protects paedophiles um, outside Parliament yesterday. So, um, yeah, Joe, I was just, you know, it was your team who found this. I was just wondering if you could, um, you know, give us a bit of context to these to these comments and what's the response been from the far right kind of since these events unfolded yesterday? Yeah, sure. So, so this kind of baseless slur that, that Keir Starmer's somehow kind of at fault for, for the Jimmy Savile thing. Um, this has been around for quite a number of years, right? I mean, this has been something that Guido Fawkes talked about a long time ago. This That's the blog that um, kind of lots of people in politics read. But it was also something that kind of from time to time would flare up within far-right circles and conspiracy circles on things like Telegram. And um, 
in January this year, it started to do the rounds again. And it was actually, uh, funny enough, pushed out by Tommy Robinson, right? And to his, he's got over 150,000 followers on Telegram. So once he starts pushing something out, it starts to do the rounds in the wider far right in all these kind of murky online spaces. And if you looked through the comments underneath, it was seriously aggressive stuff. You know, you even had supports putting up pictures of nooses and really nasty stuff. So it does seem like a huge coincidence that something that you know was really circulating just a few weeks ago on far right telegram is then randomly mentioned by uh the prime minister in pmqs and i think a lot of people at the time almost reacted with a slight sense of amusement when they heard it they thought oh, this is some strange non-secretary or it's just a weird attack but actually i think it's it's another example of far-right rhetoric far-right conspiracy theories and talking points seeping into the mainstream and it's really, really worrying because, of course, these words have consequences, as we saw yesterday when Keir Starmer was then bundled into a car by police officers because he was being attacked by people repeating the slur. And unfortunately, obviously, the government or Boris Johnson has refused to come out and retract it. And, and I think that that's just completely shameful. But I do wonder if it's worth I mean, this is not new. Right. And not just that one, but there's lots of examples of real far right talking points and conspiracy theories being trumpeted by people within the conservative government. Right. I mean, uh, or, or within the Conservative Party. I mean, we've talked about in the past far-right MPs, or sorry, not far-right MPs, Conservative MPs, talking about things like cultural Marxism, right, which is a far-right anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. We've talked about um, how Pretty Patel has repeated far-right talking points when it comes to cross-channel migration. There's a series of examples we've seen in recent years of very senior Conservative MPs, and now, of course, the Prime Minister repeating far-right talking points. Now, the only last thing I'd say uh, is that it's, it's worth us understanding how I think this happens. There are examples where clearly someone, an, an MP, engages directly with the far-right. So I'm thinking about Jacob Rees-Mogg when he, he went to the traditional Britain group meeting years ago. But actually, I think most of this stuff happens by it seeps out of the far-right. It circulate These ideas circulate within the far-right. They get big enough and popular enough within the far-right that they then get picked up by more and increasingly mainstream figures until eventually some of them percolate all the way up to the top. So, I mean, far-right disinformation, if you will, it spreads osmotically, right, from, from these corners of the far-right internet through into right-wing, more, more mainstream right-wing commentators and right-wing elements of the media, and then eventually sometimes it gets picked up by more mainstream politicians. So no one's claiming that, Tommy, uh, that, that Boris Johnson's sitting there reading Tommy Robinson's Telegram account. But what it is, is that weeks ago, the far right really start talking about this issue about Keir Starmer and Savile, and it percolates up and eventually it breaks out of the far right into more mainstream things, and then it's picked up. And this is how it happens. And this is just the latest example in lots of this in recent years. And, and it's really, really concerning. It's the cordon sanitaire of far right ideas crumbling and seeping into the mainstream. And it's really worrying. And, and we've seen that these words have actions, right? And when we think about Joe Cox, when we think about David Amos, you know, everyone needs to be acting responsibly and everyone should be condemning any behaviour or anything that encourages this sort of mob aggression towards MPs. And currently, Boris Johnson is refusing to properly do that. And it's really, really shameful. What's kind of interesting is that half an hour before we went live, this uh, Snap Comrades poll came out, which um, says that, amongst other things, over two thirds of Britons say that the prime minister is responsible for the leader of the opposition being harassed. Over two thirds of Britons also say she publicly apologised to Keir Starmer, and also two, over two thirds of Britons say he should withdraw his comments. So it seems like you know it, it depends. I mean, I suppose how much pressure he gets put under um, from inside the Conservative Party to make any kind of statement. But uh, definitely, the public is not on his side on this. 
which I think is interesting. No, absolutely not. And look, at the end of the day, I mean, really, the, the people who are to blame for what happened yesterday were the people who perpetrated it, right? We can't kind of shift blame away. Yeah. The people who turned up and attacked and shouted and screamed, they are the people who are most to blame for this. But they were repeating and echoing things that they had heard the prime minister say just days before, right? And and there is a wider responsibility to us all being acting responsibly and, and Boris Johnson has failed on that. Yeah, it was really ugly. I only saw, uh, you know, clips, but like you say, people shouting traitor and all kinds of stuff. It was, it was, mm. yeah, it was ugly. It was stuff. really grim, wasn't did it? You, did you see much more of it, Rox? Yeah, I was watching it for a bit and then, yeah, I, I had to, um, I had to disengage after a while because actually it was just quite hard to hear much, but um, Politics Joe put out a really good video. Um, so yeah, big up to them for, for kind of following that as well. But um, yeah, it was really, really grim. Um, and I, Joe, I don't know uh, if you can kind of shed any light on this. Uh, I saw that Piers, Piers Corbyn was kind of involved in it as well. I think he might have spoken at the end or something, but could you kind of give a bit more context to that as well, perhaps? Or do you think he's kind of irrelevant in this, in that respect? No, I mean, obviously, P Piers Corbyn's a very prominent figure within in that conspiracy scene. And, and it looks like the people that were outside Parliament yesterday were a kind of this usual, we see increasingly usual mixture of uh, kind of strange conspiracy theories from across various elements of the spectrum. Uh, and Piers Corbyn is obviously deeply involved in that world. And um, yeah, and so I think, I mean, really, actually, we've been talking on this podcast for a long time now about the radicalising of that conspiracy scene, right? And here's another example of that. You've got a movement that is becoming increasingly radical. This idea that, you know, people were shouting traitor and all, all that, that sort of rhetoric has become increasingly normalised and entrenched within those conspiracy scenes, of which Piers Corbyn is a fundamental figure. And that's really, really worrying because then people start to take action into their own hands and, and then we start to go down a very dangerous road. Well, just as, as a sort of further point to that, if people go to our website, you'll see uh, today we published a blog, or Matthew Collins published a blog about a guy in Manchester who uh, is part of this COVID conspiracy lot calling for, you know, mass roundups of politicians, the murder of politicians, doctors, all kinds of things, all kinds of people. It's it's very, very disturbing. Like you say, the radicalization of this movement is, um, you know, something we, we really need to keep an eye on, but it's something that's happening under our noses at the same time, you know. Ro uh, Roxy, another mainstream story is this story about Jimmy Carr, which, um, I mean, I couldn't yeah. believe this when I saw this, but this, yeah, Ugh. you go for it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I've been following this quite closely for the past um, past few days. Um, so yeah, on, on Friday last week, we joined a range of organisations, um, namely the, the Traveller Movement, who kind of uh, shed light on this joke quote-unquote joke I should say uh, that Jimmy Carr shared in his in his latest Netflix special that came out um, beginning of January um, yeah this joke is kind of celebrating and making light of the death of you know, hundreds of thousands of Roma and Sinti people during the Holocaust and I, in a way it's been uh, both surprising and reassuring Kind of seeing the kind of public reaction to it I, I don't think i would have necessarily expected it to get the story to get so big given how uh normalized and mainstreamed hate against the kind of gypsy roman traveler community is but i think it also raises some you know really interesting questions around what the boundaries of comedy are and jimmy carr has kind of subsequently positioned himself as a as a victim of cancel culture uh, rather than to apologize that was so predictable wasn't it so predictable but also you know just really shooting himself in the foot i think because 
it would have, you know, different organisations were calling on him to apologise. And I think if he had just simply apologised and he kind of would have moved on. And I think he's really done himself a disservice um, there. And it's just, yeah, it kind of speaks volumes about where he's at on these sort of topics. Um, the thing that really annoys me about, sorry to jump in, but the no, thing that no, really no, annoys me about, about that is that if you watch the whole clip, he, he starts by saying, right, this, this, this should be a career ender or something like that. So yeah. he knew exactly yeah, yeah. what he was saying. So to try and act like, oh, what's, you know, what's going on here? I didn't do anything wrong sort of thing. He knew exactly what he was saying. Absolutely. And then to have the audacity to claim that he was using it as like an educational tool because the mass majority of people don't know that uh, Roma and Sinti people died during the Holocaust. I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, it's absolute baloney. <laughs> um, but Joe and, and Spoons, you, you, might, uh, you might have a response for this as well. Was, what would you say to someone who thinks that this, this, is, this situation is just kind of precious snowflakes? being sensitive about comedy like well what would you say what would be your retort to that those kind of comments because I've seen them quite a lot <laughs> on social media so yeah what would you kind of say to that well sorry Joe are you gonna come in no no you go you go well I, well, I was gonna say the best the best I think the best line that I've seen so far came from one of um the groups that, that we were speaking to earlier on when this when this uh, story broke which was in a statement that was sent to us which said if your punchlines are indistinguishable from not like Nazi rhetoric, you're mm. on the wrong side of the argument, basically. And I, and when it came to when I read that, and I thought that is just absolutely nailed on exactly what's happened here. Mm. Um, Joe, what 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 do you think? Yeah, so look, I mean, it's obviously really really grim, and I think we should call it, it was it was a racist joke, right? And I I am getting a bit frustrated with all this commentary around it saying controversial joke. You know, it was a racist joke where um, it was a joke about. You know, celebrating the death of, of Roma people, and and I think the audience's reaction was made me even more sad yeah. than anything because yeah. it was kind of you know how much of that laugh was an uncomfortable, all oh, that was a bit edgy, and how much of it was a yeah we hate travellers, and we know through so much research that it's such a persecuted community in the UK, and and it really does feel like the joke was punching down right, and I think that's where this comes to the, it's really difficult here because comedy is you know, allowed to be outrageous. It's allowed to be edgy. It's allowed to be offensive, right? And, and so he had every, in some ways, he's, you know, people are allowed to make these sorts of jokes. But it, in this instance, it was racist. It was punching down. And the question is, you know, I think his doubling down on it afterwards, it makes it more and more worse. Because as you say, Nick, he says at the beginning, this is a career ender, does it? And then afterwards he comes out and says, oh, this is just cancel culture coming after me. He's whipped up this fury purposefully. And then is now saying, look what a victim I am of doing this. And while he probably is allowed to make racist jokes, I mean, of course, he is allowed to make them legally. He's allowed to make a racist joke. We're also allowed to call him racist for it, right? And that's not um, that's not about cancel culture or whatever. People are allowed to turn around and say, I think what you've said is racist. You've now mm. defended what you said. And we're not going to engage with you anymore. And we don't want to consume your content anymore, et cetera. So it's really, really nasty. And I think part of the reaction of it is, is as really amplified the wider normal, like how normal it is to be anti-Roma gypsy and traveller mm. in British society, how pervasive those perspectives are. And because it was that community, you know, there's a reason he chose that community for the butt of that joke. Sure. Um, it's because he knew that, uh, yeah, that some people would laugh at it and go, oh, isn't this offensive? But other people would laugh at it and go, yeah, I do, I do dislike those people. And, and that's where I think it's really worrying, actually, what we've seen in the last few days. Absolutely. Now, let me ask you this. Um, 
obviously, as, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we have kind of seen broad spectrum societal societal support for, uh, you know, the GRT community um, in light of Jimmy Carr's comments, including from quite a lot of Tory MPs. And, you know, we're in a situation where the Conservatives are passing through multiple bills, including the Police Crime and Sentencing Bill, which kind of de facto criminalises uh, the GRT community in their way of life. Well, why do you think that they've chosen this topic to kind of rally around? Is it because it's politically convenient for them? Or uh, we, <laughs> I don't mean this when I ask this, but are we seeing a shift in the Tories towards the GRT community? What, what do you think is going on there? Well, I mean, my, my sense of it is they're saying one thing and doing the exact opposite, which is, mm. uh, you know, it's it plays well in the press for them to to say that they're on they're on the side of the people who are the, the target of this joke but really like you say um if you look at what's going through the commons at the moment um the actions are diametrically opposed to the words coming out of these Tory MPs mouths so uh, duplicitous hypocritical whatever you want to call it that's what I would call it anyway Joe what do you think uh, I, I think it's, it's a case-by-case basis in the sense of if, if one of the people who has come out and criticised or, or has attempted to be a friend of the Roma community in recent days also then votes for legislation which persecutes that community, that's hypocrisy. I don't know about every case uh, in terms of everyone who's come out and spoke about it and everyone who's going to vote for the bill yet, so I can't talk in generalisations. But, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if, if someone does that, there's no question that it would be hypocritical of them. Yeah, agreed. Rox, anything else you want to you want to say on this story? Um, just wanted to send my solidarity to the GRT community because I know that this has been really painful. But also, uh, having spoken to you know a few different organisations, this is also like a really potentially amazing opportunity um, to create positive change and kind of shift some narratives here. So you know, I'm I'm really excited also to see see what we can do on this so um yeah but just sending solidarity too yeah i echo that absolutely absolutely um, yeah absolutely we've got a couple of more underground stories which we're going to go to briefly here at the end one is um about a 19 year old man from bexley heath in kent his name is uh, connor burke and he's the latest young neo-nazi in this country to get locked up under terror legislation um reading through the details of this case joe i don't, i, I it seems to me, I mean, it's an absolutely clear case of online radicalization. And the thing that really struck me about this, um, as well as this kind of discovery of loads of Third Reich memorabilia in his room, like daggers and Mein Kampf and some like Nazi rings and stuff, was this way in which he used the, ga- the, the game Minecraft as a kind of cover for his, for, for sort of disseminating the, the anarchist cookbook. What, what did you make of this, this one? It's kind of worrying, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So, the guy, as you say, the guy's 19. You know, it's was, it was a pretty shocking list of uh, things that he'd been up to. Um, improvised explosive devices, which is something we're really worried about more broadly on, on that we're seeing across the most extreme elements of the far right. So we're seeing lots of even things about napalm and, and talk, you know, so there's lots of really dangerous stuff going on. And this falls into that category. Um, you know, we know he was found with... Um, the Anarchist Cookbook, which is obviously a very famous, long-standing book, which has been used by lots of terrorists to, to engage in terrorism. Um, he was disseminating terrorist publications. He was possessing documents for acts of terrorism. 
you know, so this one was one of those cases where in the past we've had a bit of a debate, haven't we, on this podcast about custodial sentences and far right terror, young far right terrorists. This is one of those ones where, where the guy was clearly an extremely dangerous individual. And, um, and it seemed like there was very little chart, you know, very little option other than a custodial sentence in this. Yeah, I mean, the way it was framed in this, in this, the, the story that I read was that he, he kind of got a, he was isolated in his university house or something and he got trapped, you know, he was stuck there during the pandemic and he went down a, an online wormhole into this kind of, uh, you know, very extreme networks. Um, but like you say, very, very disturbing stuff. And an, another one is this story from up in Keithley, which uh, I think it was last week, but four people in Keithley have been accused of being members of a far right cell um, and making pistol parts using a 3D printer. And I think it was in September last year, I went back and checked this, but I went through a bunch of cases on the podcast, which showed the links between the extreme right and, and they're kind of taking an interest in in 3D printing technology and particular, particularly, sorry, uh, manufacturing weapons with it. And I think, I mean, Joe, I'm kind of interested to get your, your take on this. Like, what happened with this with this case in particular, and, and do you know what what members what group they were supposed to be a part of? I mean, it's it's said in court they're members of a some of a far right extreme right cell. There was no mm -hmm. mention of what that was. Um, do we know? Do we know what that was? Maybe we can't say. I don't know. So yeah, the 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 people that, that were talking about the in the three um, D printing gun case, this terror cell. I mean, they were using this thing called the Oaken Oaken Half Telegram channel was where a lot of them were based. Right. Um, now, as you say, yeah, we have talked about 3D guns, and I think there's a couple of things. The 3D guns is one thing. There's often a lot of talk about it, and it is a it is a possibility and a problem, but you need very, generally speaking, you need very good 3D printing equipment to produce quite a good or usable gun, thankfully. Um, but you do see manuals for printing or kind of the blueprints for printing guns all over these terrorist extreme kind of telegram channels. They're everywhere. Then there's also, but the, I guess wider is kind of like improvised weaponry. So you think back to the Haller attack in Germany, that was an improvised gun. It wasn't 3D printed, but it was kind of made at home. And obviously with our thankfully very strong gun legislation, there is, that is where you're going to find a lot of this stuff coming from. People attempting to either convert um, things like air rifles or convert uh, decommissioned weaponry or to create or, to, or make their own weapons, or in some cases to print 3D stuff or increasingly things like making things like napalm. So this is a really dangerous turn in this. And, and of course, this is the logical conclusion of this extreme politics when they are constantly fed and propagating and producing and reading content about imminent race war, the requirement for violence, the need for revolution. Some of these individuals go far enough down that road where they actually, it stops becoming talk and it becomes a reality for them and they start to prepare for it and they start to do it. And the number of arrests is just terrifying and it continues to be terrifying. And you know, I, I, in some senses, I, it's awful to say it, but it's really surprising that we haven't seen something happen you know, recently. Yeah, that's a kind of disturbing reality, isn't it? I mean, the other, th I think, unless I'm wrong, AJ, you can correct me, but the, the Joe Cox murderer, he he ta tampered with, altered a weapon, didn't he, in, in, in order to, to make it lethal, I think. It was like a sort of a homemade thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other thing that, uh, you know, apologies to listeners because we we have banged this drum so many times on the podcast. But the thing that ties this case and the case of the the previous case, the nineteen year old uh, guy from from Kent, together is the role of Telegram again in you know in helping to facilitate these networks and spread all this stuff. I mean, what 
I mean, how, what, what more is there to say at this point? Uh, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, look, what, what, what more is there to say, right? I don't know how many, uh, how many more times do people have to go to prison for spreading vile, violent, extremist, dangerous terror content on Telegram and Telegram taking almost often absolutely no action whatsoever. I don't know what more we can say. You know, I mean, I guess this is something that will maybe be tackled a bit more by the forthcoming online safety bill. But, you know, there has to be maybe a legislative solution to this because clearly organisations like ourselves saying Telegram is a bad actor has is, is had no effect or little to no effect. And we know they can do it, right, because they clamp down on Islamist extremists, they clamp down on ISIS on their platform, but their platform is absolutely awash with far-right terror material and they continue to do absolutely nothing about it. And people are going to die, or people already have died because of this. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what else we can say about it beyond saying this is just, you know, we've had MPs write letters to Telegram, they just didn't respond. Um, We've campaigned about it. Every newspaper in the country has written articles about it. And it's not just us. This is every country in the world people are talking about this. Our, our colleagues and comrades in North America have been talking about this for years as well, and nothing's happening. So I don't know what more we can say on Telegram. It's a, it's a really bad actor, and, and it's a really dangerous place, and, and they're not taking it seriously. Yeah. That's another depressing note to end on. But, yeah, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. We've just banged this drum so many times, and, uh, yeah, it's hard to know how we're going to get any movement on this as far as i'm concerned that's it for this week unless you want to talk about anything else either of you i know there's been some things in the academic world of anti-fascism this week that have been of interest but i don't know if people want to talk about that or whether we just leave it there for this week and we move on anything um uh, i mean i don't have anything specific to say about it i mean i'm sure lots of our listeners will have seen there was a, there was a pretty appalling article published by uh, the camp uh, center for the analysis of the radical right last week it was kind of equating anti-fascists with fascists and and it got roundly trounced and um there's been a lot of fallout from that but i mean i mean i, I wasn't i wasn't a member of of the the center so i kind of haven't got a huge amount to say on it but no, but it's yeah. been quite a public falling out. It's it? been a big public falling out. And it was an example, I think, of the kind of crumbling anti-fascist consensus, right? Because it was more the response than the article. If people want to publish nonsense articles, that's not a problem, right? You, you know, there's diversity of opinions. Obviously, we would disagree with that article that was published that says, you know, the anti-fascists are almost just as bad, it basically argued. Obviously, we would say that was nonsense. It was poorly researched and badly written and all those things. But it was more the centre's response. When the centre came out and then said, we are not anti-fascist, we are not political. I mean, the latter of those, I don't know what that means, not being political, but but saying that we're not anti-fascist, I think it's part of a wider trend about, you know, it's often academics saying that, you know, essentially anti-fascism and fascism are two, you know, opposing subcultures which are fighting it out, whereas actually it should be that anti-fascism is a societal consensus. And uh, and then, you know, so it, there's, there's, no, there's no problem with an academic research centre being explicitly critical and being explicitly anti-fascist, because wider society is anti-fascist. Uh, and so, if anything, I thought it was a sad, sad further evidence of like the crumbling of this societal anti-fascist consensus. And um, it was worrying. Yeah, I think it was just a really bungled uh, response. I mean, the, the smart thing to do would have been to de- like just delete it and, you know, tweet a, a sensible apology or something about it and clarify their position but it just compounded the problem time and time every time i went onto twitter i just saw it just getting measurably worse mm. so yeah it's just yes yeah, like you say sad state of affairs um roxy anything you want to you want to add before we close no i don't think so okay well it's been really good to hang out with you both and uh thank you for your insights and intelligence um, likewise comrade 
That is, that's very, very kind of you indeed. <laughs> and a big thank you to everyone for listening and a big thanks to Jake, our producer as well. Make sure you check back next week for another, another anti-fascist update. Um, we will be here. So we'll see you then. Take care. See you Bye. in a bit. You cannot prevent 50 people, 50 postmen or 50 dustmen from having anti-Semitic thoughts. But you can prevent 50 dustmen forming an anti-Semitic dustmen association. Take the fight of the enemy and attack those before they attack you.